75 years ago, months after the Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor, the federal government opened up 10 concentration camps to warehouse every one of the 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry from the West Coast. Two-thirds of them were U.S. citizens. Most people believe that such a thing should never happen again in the United States to any group, racial, ethnic, religious, or otherwise. I'm Eric Muller, and I think the best way to make sure something doesn't happen again is to know what the thing was that actually happened. That's what this podcast does. It tells stories based on actual events in the lives of real people uprooted from their homes and forced to live in America's concentration camps, not because of anything they had done, but simply because of who they were. I call it Scapegoat Cities. We don't know a whole lot about Mr. Otomatsu Wada of Unit B in Barrack 14 in Block 63 of the Gila River Relocation Center in southern Arizona, beyond the fact that on May 1st of 1943, eight months to the day after he arrived, he went missing. Census records and ship manifests do tell us a little bit about him, but they don't do much more than sketch a picture of a typical member of the generation of Japanese that came to the United States around the turn of the 20th century. We know that he was born in Japan in 1873, that he left school after the seventh grade, and that he arrived in the United States for the first time in 1899 when he was about 26 and a bachelor. He never learned to speak English very well. We know that he worked as a laborer in Santa Ana, California until early in 1906, when he went back to Japan for a short time. It seems that his reason for returning was to get married because by the fall of that same year, he was back in the United States in the company of a new wife, seven years his junior. We know from the records that when he returned as a married man, Otomatsu went into farming, like so many Japanese immigrants of his generation did. And we know that tragedy struck less than a year later when the young Mrs. Wada passed away. We know that by 1914, when Otomatsu Wada was around 40, he had remarried, this time to a 26-year-old Japanese woman named Toshi. She bore him three sons in rapid succession, George in 1916, Gabriel in 1917, and Paul in 1919. And then tragedy struck again. Toshi Wada passed away in February of 1920, just 31 years old, leaving him a widower for the second time. We know that on December 7, 1941, Otomatsu and two of his sons were working on a farm in Compton, California, just north of Long Beach. His oldest son had joined the army back in February. We don't know, but we can infer that Otomatsu wasn't seen as a dangerous man in the wake of Pearl Harbor. In the days after the attack, the FBI broke out a list of supposedly dangerous aliens it had compiled with military intelligence agencies before the war, and it went out and swarmed over the Japanese communities up and down the West Coast, arresting every man on the list. It didn't take much to make the list. All a person had to do was hold some sort of leadership role in the Japanese community, whether as an officer of a business association, or as a Buddhist priest, or as a Japanese language teacher, or a judo instructor. Later, the attorney general would repudiate the list as unreliable. But however little in the way of evidence of subversion it took to make the list, 
Odo Matsuwada didn't have it. We know that in the spring of 1942, he and his youngest son were shipped off to the Tulare Assembly Center, a temporary gathering facility on the site of the Tulare Fairgrounds with makeshift barracks running almost its entire half-mile length and quarter-mile width, including across the field of its big racing oval. From there, late in August of 1942, they were deported by train to what the government officially called the Rivers Relocation Center in southern Arizona, known to everybody as Gila River because the government put it on reservation land owned by the Gila River Indian community south of Phoenix, even though they didn't want it there. Yes, I said south of Phoenix. It was hot at Gila River. Really, really hot. On September 1st, the day Odamatsu arrived with his son, the high temperature was 100 degrees Fahrenheit. We don't know exactly how he spent his time at Gila River, but we can make some educated guesses. There were jobs at the camp paying between $12 and $19 a month, depending on the skill level of the work, but it's hard to imagine that an almost 70-year-old widower who knew only farming jumped at the chance to work in the scorching sun, especially when he didn't have to earn money to pay for his room and board such as they were. Most of the elderly inmates at Gila River and the other war relocation authority camps really did very little with their empty days. They had a lifetime of hard work behind them and now they had pretty much nothing to show for it. So lots of the older folks just tried to ease into this first real moment of idleness that they had ever known, hunting for whatever shade they could find to sit and gossip and play cards or checkers. There were lots of elderly Issei bachelors in the camp, men who'd come to the United States like Odomatsu to work, but had never married. They tended to be more solitary than their married counterparts. Maybe as a widower, Odomatsu whiled away his time with some of them, brewing homemade sake, musing about the war, and playing the ancient game of Go with black and white stones on boards they made from leftover plywood. We know that in the spring of 1943, life got lonelier for him. His son Paul had the opportunity to get out of camp on what they called seasonal leave, to pull and top sugar beets in the fields up in Montana. And even though it meant leaving his father behind in camp to fend for himself, the young man headed north on April 8th. It seems unlikely that Odomatsu caught the Eleanor Roosevelt fever that gripped Gila River when the First Lady visited on Friday, April 23rd. Mrs. Roosevelt came to Gila River as part of a public relations effort to refute charges that were swirling in the national press that the government was coddling Japanese Americans in the camps. She wowed inmates with an energetic itinerary of appearances around camp moving unannounced from schools to recreation halls to mess halls to the camp hospital to the factory where inmates made camouflage netting for the war effort. The camp's newspaper reported, and I'm quoting, that curious and thrilled evacuee eyes followed Mrs. Roosevelt everywhere, and autograph hunters had a field day. But Odomatsu was preoccupied by other things. He kept telling people that he was going to leave camp to be with his son, on the beet farm up in Montana. But the beet fields were 1,200 miles away, and he didn't have permission to leave or any way to get there. So nobody took him seriously. We know that by 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, May 1st, a week after the First Lady's visit, Odomatsu was reported missing from his barrack. The temperature was 102 degrees. 
We know that over the next several days, as temperatures climbed as high as 103, camp officials launched a massive manhunt for him. Upwards of a thousand prisoners searched inside the perimeter fence on Sunday. On Monday, several hundred more were given special permission to search outside the fence, within a concentric circle with a five-mile radius, while two private airplanes buzzed the skies above. On Tuesday, a day the camp newspaper warned residents about scorpion stings and rattlesnake bites and announced the distribution of salt tablets due to the heat, administrators devoted even more manpower to the search, throwing 20 to 30 volunteers from each of the residential blocks into the effort, so many that the camp had to shut down all but the most essential operations. Word went out to state officials across Arizona and Southern California to be on the lookout for a 5'7", 140-pound, gray-haired, clean-shaven, 72-year-old man in blue jeans, work shoes, a white dress shirt with brown spots, and a gray gabardine slouch hat. The search turned up nothing, not a clue. At that point, Odomatsu was officially listed as missing. Four months later, the camp newspaper described his disappearance as one of Gila River's unsolved mysteries. We don't know whether in the heat of the search anyone saw foreshadowing in a poem by Gila River high school student Tokiko Inoue that appeared in the camp newspaper just a few days before Odomatsu Wada vanished. She titled the poem, The Desert is My Home, and it went like this. The desert is my home. I love its suns and sands. I love its vastness, centuries sleep. It challenges, commands. At night, the cold stars crystallize, opalescent, clear, and free. I exult in their ageless eyes. Their silence envelops me. And this is now my home, this, the open plains, an endless sage beneath hot sun, the sky, and sudden rain. From golden dawn to red sunset, the desert beckons, calls. I love its freedom, wilderness, unlimited by walls. And this will be my home, the desert paths I'll trod. For out beneath its skies and stars, I can be alone with God. We don't know much about Odomatsu Wada, but we do know that almost two years later, in March of 1945, a cowboy out on horseback in the desert about 10 miles southwest of the camp happened across a bleached and partly clothed skeleton under a mesquite tree. It was the skeleton of a small man in shredded blue jeans and the tatters of a white shirt. Arizona state authorities didn't know who it was. But you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Scapegoat Cities. If you like what you hear, let me know by leaving a comment at scapegoatcities.org. Or better yet, let your friends and family know on Twitter or Facebook or however else you like to tell your people about the podcasts you like. Maybe even turn on some people you don't know to Scapegoat Cities by rating and reviewing it on iTunes or wherever else you go to get your podcasts. I'm Eric Muller, and again, thanks for listening. Let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. 
I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences And gaze at the moon until I lose my senses I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences Don't fence me in 